Oh my god, we're back again! We're just gonna keep doing these until you get sick of it or we get sick of it and we never get sick of gear. This is the Tone Bros Podcast with Tone Bro number one over there, Mr. Matt Horn. Matt, say hi. Good afternoon, folks. Oh, so professional, and I'm absolutely not. I am Chuck Bungo, uh, Tone Bro number two, a.k.a. Poop the Bard, over on the P3 podcast and online and on my YouTube channel. It's it's just a branding thing. And we are back again today after a couple, I'd say, first good good couple episodes. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say it's, um, as our good buddy Diamond David Lee Roth would say, it's a stellar performance. It was stellar performance. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, Van Halen and the gear of Van Halen, and we talked about some of our guitar players' past. You know what? Do yourself a favor. Instead of us recapping, go back and listen to the other episodes. I guarantee you, if you're a gearhead or a music fan, you're going to love it. Now, this time... On this this episode, Matt and I were chatting back and forth, and I came up with the idea to talk about um, some some gear that is has become like cult classic gear, but like wasn't really considered. It, it, it's like gear that's from like days gone by, or like gear that just flew under the radar, and then all of a sudden it got super popular. That happens all the time in the guitar world. I don't know about like other. Um, other musical instruments or anything like that, but in the guitar and bass world, it happens all the time. Right. <laughs> right. The, right. <laughs> no, like a man, a few words. No, it absolutely. He's just, he's just over there looking like Taz, just like, Meh. that's true. Good point, Chuck. If you can, brother. <laughs> no, but but doesn't it, though? Like, there will be pedals or amps or guitars or pickups that just fly way under the radar forever. And, like, if you're a used, uh, used gear shopper, you can find them for next to nothing. And then all of a sudden, like, one artist will use it and get note of it. And then all of a sudden, prices will absolutely skyrocket on them. Right. I think um, going back as far as like we talk about pedals quite a bit, uh, going back as far as uh, when was when did Boss release the DS one? 1977, I think. Oh, good Lord. So it was, yeah, it was back in the 70s. Yeah. So that's been over 40 years and I know players were using it. But I mean, even though I wasn't playing at the time and I was just a wee lad, um, as I understand, sales um, really took off when Joe Satriani released his first album. And you start hearing all these little snippets and seeing these little articles about him using a DS-1 as his primary um, distortion unit. And same thing with Steve Vai. I mean, I know it's a pedal that's been used in and out for decades now. But like you said, when you see those little trends and then also, too, with social media, all you need is to have somebody like Ola England or Brian Wampler or, you know, somebody like that posting a video concerning one of these pedals and It'll get a million views or it'll get at least a couple thousand views and then sales will start to pick up. The same thing happened like a year or two ago when Ola did his uh, his uh, demo, if you want to call it that, of the Boss Metal Zone. Uh, arguably the most maligned pedal in history, but he used it as a preamp going into the power amp of his uh, or going to the back section of his power amp. And it sounded pretty good compared to the stock sound. Wait. And then you start seeing sales went up for that. Well, and that's a recent development with the metal zone of people like I, I think it's it, it's kind of a byproduct of uh, the modeling thing with stuff like the axe effects, the head rush, the helix, uh, the Kemper. Like people are seeing, oh, I can put this stuff through a power amp. 
what else can I, well, the amp in a box stuff, like, you know, you saw that blow up a couple years ago with uh, some of the Wampler stuff, uh, Earthquaker, JHS, they were doing quote unquote amp in a box pedals. I mean, two notes did those, um, uh, two notes did the ones that are like the the lead, the clean and uh, the crunch. crunch. Yeah. And, and so it was that amp in a box thing where all you need is something to go direct to the board or it's something you can put through a power amp. Um, you know, I think people are kind of going, oh, you can do this with the metal zone. It actually sounds good. Listen, my first distortion pedal was a metal zone. Like, I remember saving up my money to buy a metal zone, and I, I thought it can't get any better than this. I love that thing. Like, I, maybe I'm wrong. I ran it into the front of my Jackson JG2, and I ran my amp clean and loud and I had my metal zone, my chorus and my wah. That was it for the longest time. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people got miffed with it because the EQ set, like they treat the EQ section as if it were an amplifier or as if it were a preamp. And it's so sensitive that I think they really missed the boat on. I know I certainly missed the boat on it because I did the thing where you scoop the mids and it just sounded sounds terrible. But once you just do little micro adjustments, almost as if you're using like a piece of outboard sound gear or like studio gear, it's it's that sensitive. The range on it is is pretty astronomical. So I think once you tweak that a little bit, then you can get some really good sounds out of it. But most of us just set it like you would a normal pedal or an amplifier which is you know extreme settings and it just sounded god awful when you do that but it's those little micro adjustments and that i think it really helps no i agree and and that was the thing with mine i remember i found a setting memorized it and anytime that my pedal got jostled around i knew where to put it back i i found a sound i liked i never had any now back in the day i think we weren't as discerning because we didn't know as much but like I had more experienced guitar players around. They would come up and look at my my thing and like, you know, these guys are running Marshalls. They had, you know, Fender amps and nicer distortion pedals or multi-effects units or whatever. And they were playing Gibsons. This was back when I was in high school. And, you know, you have, you know, shit kicker me playing an SG copy from Samick and my Charvel Model 6. And um, I was running that, that Jackson amp with a metal zone and they would scoff. But then when they heard us play, they were like, damn, that sounds really good. And I'm like, because I made it work, I basically sat and tweaked until I went, that sounds good to me. Right. You know, my, my first pedals actually were, they were around the year, I think it was 2000 or 2001. So I was very late in the pedal game. Uh, I went with boss though. I got a DS one. And then for, I think I paid 50 bucks for that. If even that, and then I think no, I think it was forty bucks for that. And then for another sixty bucks, I got uh, an Ibanez TS7, which that's a pedal that you couldn't give away about ten years ago. Then again, because of um, people posting on social media, you know, rediscovering this pedal that it's essentially a um, what is it? A TS9, a rehoused TS9X or whatever that DX model, or whatever it was that had the boost switch on it. Oh, then yeah, once yeah. people figured that out, then sales start going through the roof. Now you, they're like 60, 70, $80. It's kind of silly, but that's, I guess that's the way it goes. Well, you know, I, I think it's, it's weird how it happens because like, I know 
there's a couple pieces of gear that I've run into over the years that I owned. And at the time, no one wanted them. So you, you couldn't give them away or you could buy them for dirt cheap. One of them that I had was the Ibanez Weeping Demon Wah. That yeah. thing, in retrospect, I really wish I wouldn't have gotten rid of. It was so full-featured. And, like, it was part of their tone lock thing. You yep. remember the Ibanez tone lock pedals? Yeah, the TS7 is actually one of those. Yeah, and, like, yep. they were supposed to be cheaper pedals, but I, every single one that I ever goofed around with, I thought sounded great, and they were a, literally a dime a dozen. Um, but the, the Weeping Demon, I picked up at a local music store for, I think, 30 bucks. It was used. Wow. And yeah, it was. It, they were just like, yeah, no one wants these. And I took it because at the time I couldn't afford a Morley. And I wanted that. I didn't want to have to click on and off a wall. Um, right. So that one, the cool thing with it was you could set it so it was spring loaded and it would turn on and off automatically. And it had a knob to sense set the uh, the like how quickly it shuts off. So you could have it be immediate as soon as the heel goes down, or you could set it, I think up to 300 milliseconds. Like it was crazy. And then it had EQ options, or you could turn the, the spring off and have it be in stomp mode where you turn, you stomp on it. Then the, the pedal, you know, activates the wall is always on. And then you have to turn it off. It was actually, and it was built out of metal. Like it was, like it was a tank. And I got rid of it. I think I gave it to someone because I just wasn't vibing with it. Because at the time I was on the the crybaby kick. Like I was like, crybabies are the way to go. And now I went looking for one because I'm like, oh man, it'd be kind of nice to have one of those again. I haven't checked and I'll actually go on reverb and look right now. But like, um, the last time I checked, they were like $150, $175 used. And I was shocked. Like, why? Yeah. The uh, the DOD pedals, which we've talked about time in and time out, the DOD pedals, they're another uh, anomaly. Um, I remember reading Guitar World magazines in, I'm going to say maybe 96, 95, 96. They had this line of pedals. I remember one of them. I wanted it in the worst way. It was called the Buzz Box. I don't know if you remember that at all. Oh it my had, god! Uh, yeah, like black and white or black and yellow stripes on it. They um, call it. It was they, this. They call them the Lamb series. The late yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, j- from that JHS video. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those I wanted one of those because it was supposedly like they said it sounded like a Fuzz Box, and I'm thinking Fuzz Box like Jimi Hendrix. Well, then you come to find out a couple years later that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that not basically their attempt at creating uh, King Buzzo's sound from the Melvins yes. in a pedal? Yes, that's what it was supposed to be. It's almost like a tripped out Octavia. Yeah. Or Proctavia, I guess you want to call it. Yeah. Like. But, you know, they, they went. I remember seeing them for $39.99, $49.99. Now they're $150, $180. Same thing with the uh, the meat box, which is like an another octave ba- uh, fuzz. Those are like 200 bucks a pop now, or at least last time I checked reverb, they were yeah. astronomical. 
Well, and I, it, it, it's it's insane how that happens. Now, I'm checking Reverb right now for the Weeping Demon. There's one for $65 that's in, first in Newcastle, actually, but it's non-functioning. It's missing the treadle. <laughs> so, okay. like, okay, uh, I I would pay, like, maybe 20 bucks for that and then fabricate a, a treadle for it, um, I guess. But, like, there's there's three other ones, and they range from $90 up to 135.76, which is in Luxembourg. So screw you, Luxembourg. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, but it's they're still commanding a pretty big price, and there's only three functioning ones on on the entirety of Reverb. So like, people are hanging on to them because I think it was it was kind of like the like the what was it the TS7 you said it was the gem. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like this yeah. kind of like like sleeper pedal that's actually incredibly good but they just i think maybe the look of them or the marketing of them was just not super great the other one that i think is insane is the boss dimension c yes do you yeah do you know the you know the dimension c right yeah it's um because i i didn't really understand a whole lot about what was going on with it until um who's a tc electronic released their i don't remember what the name of those pedals are but the ones that were available through guitar center there were those uh all analog like dirt cheap pedals for 50 bucks and they were talking about this dimension pedal and they said it's based on this boss dimension what was it i don't know dimension Dimension c C, yeah the dimension c which is in turn based off of the roland um multi-voice processor that like I don't know if Eddie was using one, but I think like I saw Neil Sean used one. Steve Lukather might have been a part of that. But all these big name guys were using this Roland gear, and this was effectively the pedal, or this was effectively the sound in the pedal. Yeah, and I know they because they made it for like they made it for basically a minute, and then on the used market, well, same thing with the heavy metal pedal. Um, You know that was available for about a minute, and then in the '90s when they discontinued it. You started hearing about all these bands from Scandinavian nations who were creating this terrifying sound with that pedal cranked all the way up. Now they're, you know, in vintage form or in mint form, they are like 200 bucks. On a side note, I just kind of went on reverb uh, a second ago and I pulled up the buzz box. They're, the cheapest one I found is in Philadelphia for $280. Wow. I'm. I'm amazed right now. That's that's unreal. Not like, but yeah. The, sorry, the Dimension C you were talking about. Yeah. So the, the the Dimension C, like basically what it was for people out there who don't know, it was a Boss chorus pedal, and instead of having knobs like the CH1 or, or any of any of the iterations of their their chorus, the Dimension C was supposed to give that studio tri-chorus kind of thing. You could get. I remember finding the Dimension C when I found out about it, and I was like, wow, that's not really flexible. It basically had four buttons on it, and they were tall buttons, and you would basically went from subtle to more to more to more. You basically clicked through them, and you could only have one on at a time. And it was supposed to emulate that tri-chorus, like, 80s, you know, uh, the, um, was it album album rock kind of sound, you know, the Lukather uh, studio yeah, guitar thing. Yeah, like the AOR thing, yeah. Um, and 
by all accounts, the reason it wasn't successful is because you couldn't tweak it. It was just you had four options, and if you didn't like them, you were out the money you paid for the thing. And they didn't make it, like you said, they didn't make them very long. So you could buy them, I mean, for about the same price as a new, like, a new boss pedal. Like, I mean, they were rare, so, you know, they commanded, like, new boss pedal prices. But apparently they were also a little finicky as well. So... Right. Like they just were a little, little more inconsistent. Not that they were bad, but functionality wise. And you could get them for, I remember seeing them 70 bucks, 80 bucks, you know, around there. Then whenever dream theater went on the, I think a dramatic turn of events album tour, Petrucci was showing off his, his doing a rig rundown. And in, like, Guitar World, they had a rundown of his, like, rig and everything like that. Right. And he showed in there, he's like, yeah, I'm trying out some other stuff. He, like, had some overdrives in his rack. Like, he had a rack, you know, his his pedal rack in there instead of doing rack effects and stuff. And he was like, yeah, right. I'm trying out this Boss Dimension C chorus for my chorus sounds. And it sounds really great. And it's this. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden... The prices of those pedals, the old ones, absolutely skyrocketed. It was like $70, $80, then all of a sudden $200, $250 because Petrucci was using one. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Well, and they also they also made a Wazacraft version of that. So really you would think the the originals would have gone for – would have started uh, diminishing in value. Not no. diminishing in value, but the prices would have gone down. No, they've even – climbed even higher than that well the the i mean the Wazacraft one i think was new last year and right already like i mean i'm looking i'm looking on here um let me see used the cheapest one that i'm seeing right now is 170 dollars for the Wazacraft one um okay. yeah which which let me let me see if i can find the vintage one because i'll bet you well the, see here's the problem Dude, like you'd think like, oh, well, the old ones are going to diminish in value. No way, because people go, well, if they're going to reissue this, then I might as well, you know, my old one, the original one must be worth an arm and a leg. Right. You know, like right now, the cheapest Dimension C, like vintage Dimension C that I see is um, right now on the first page, one hundred and ninety five dollars. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. And and that's the thing. That's not me sitting here going, wah, I can't afford this gear. It's it's just, it kind of blows my mind how one person can influence, like, can influence this, like, market so drastically. Now, to be fair, it's John Petrucci. If it was some guy from, like, Fugazi or whatever... <laughs> It probably wouldn't have as much of a bump, but because well, it was Petrucci, you never know. You never know because the audience is fickle. I mean, no offense, but the audience can be very fickle at times. Um, you know what's what's hot for one minute. A lot of people poo-poo stuff, kind of like you mentioned, and then all of a sudden somebody has somebody else comes along and says, "Oh, I happen to really like that." Somebody who's highly influential, and boom, there you go. Now you've increased the value of it by four hundred percent. Well, and it's even stuff like then you run into stuff that's that's expensive because it's rare. Like, again, and I know we talk about boss so much like we've been talking right. so much about boss, but they have so many pedals that they've made. 
and you know it's it's crazy like yeah boss is like has the most sold pedal in the ds1 but right. you know or in that ad they had a couple years ago the orange one you know what i mean like yep. with this there's one and i want you to um i want you to tell me what boss pedal i'm thinking of that just because it's rare it's expensive okay take a guess just because it's rare oh mm -hmm. um probably the slow gear comes there, to mind bingo that is the money you had it right on the head the boss slow gear the cheapest one i see on reverb right now is 375 dollars that's obscene for a, for for a pedal that really arguably and and i'm sure i'll make some people mad with this statement you're arguably is not super useful no it it's, does volume swell yeah and that's and that's really cool but that's it you and it, it even says in the overview the boss sg1 slow gear is one of the rarest boss pedals and was produced in japan they were only produced in japan which i think adds to the mystique of it as well right boss never made a an uh an Indonesian one or whatever other Chinese Chinese one. Um, it says the effect replicates the sound of a guitarist rolling their volume knob to give somewhat of a tremolo like sound, but with a dynamic all its own. Sure. It's unique, but how many people aside from collectors are going to buy this to take it out and gig it at the price? The highest one I see is $646. Now that's over in Japan. Oh God. No. Oh wait, no, I can correct correction <laughs> in in paris france 739 dollars oh man for a slow gear pedal i understand if you're a collector like if you are a collector of boss pedals or a pedal collector to the level of a guy like um uh, josh from jhs i understand yeah. paying that money for a really nice one in good shape but otherwise, do you, there are plenty of slow gear clones out there. Oh, yeah. That's another one that uh, TC does. Um, I hate to keep bringing that up, but that's another company that uh, really offers some relatively inexpensive products for, for, what they, for what they are. But they have a pedal similar to that, something in that vein. I think it's 50 or $60 now. Let, let, you know, and it gets the same sound. I'll do the I'll do the research here. Let me let me take a look. Um, electronic slogan. Ah, here we go. What are what do they call it? They call it the crescendo. Yep. And it it is right now. You can buy it brand new for just shy of seventy freaking dollars. Okay, so they went up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like. Still. Oh, there's one used on Reverb for thirty five dollars. So if you are really desperate for that slow gear sound. There you go. Like, I, well, I think, well, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. I've been yammering. No, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so a couple of years ago, uh, right around the time I got my DOD chorus pedal, I was looking at uh, getting a CE2. I wanted one because I had seen that pedal show and I saw the demo oh, yeah. they did. Yeah, yeah. And I said, no, I got to have that. Um, but I couldn't find a CE2. And then people started talking about the CE3. Like oh well that seems like it's got a it's got a tone knob on it well that's that makes a little bit more sense and they were a lot cheaper 
And then also a video resurfaced, not resurfaced, but there was a video that came out. Um, people started uploading it. It was an old, I think it was called Rock School. It was some kind of an instructional video uh, made in the UK in the, in the mid-80s. And Gary Moore was on it, and he was doing a demo. And he had an entire Boss pedal board, and he had the CE3 on there, and it sounded amazing. And I was like, okay, sold, going to do it. Well, I started looking online. They were about 50, 60 bucks. Literally like six months later, I started seeing them for 80 bucks, 90 bucks. Now a made in Japan one, which I guess they were only made in Japan for a very brief period of time, 120 bucks. You know, pretty heavily used. Wow. It's just, right. So now, same thing with, um, with like the old chorus ensemble, the uh, CE, was it the CE5? For a little while, they were made in Japan, and then the Taiwanese ones came out. You can still get those used for forty or fifty dollars, but the Japanese one, which is supposedly better in every form, which that that remains to be seen, still hundred bucks, hundred twenty bucks, hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. I like, and and that's the thing. Like, there's one pedal that I'm trying to hunt down for myself because right now. I am borrowing, I guess I'll call him my DJ's uh, pedal. So I started this project. Um, I started this project with uh, a buddy of mine I've known since I was in, um, since I was in high school, actually way before I was in high school. Um, my buddy, Zach, we started a little project that we're calling black hole bomb. Um, nice. And um, let me, let me uh, actually find the, uh, there we go. Let me see if Black Hole Bomb will come up. Yep, there it is. Um, I'm actually going to make sure that I put a, a link in the description for this. Um, but we started jamming, and he does, like, all the DJ technical stuff. Like, he has, like, Roland Chaos pads, and he has a, a KP-1. He has like, he has all this stuff. Like, he's, he's really into that, and he's very good at it. And um, he asked me, he said, hey, man, do you want to jam? And like, see what we can do, like for like guitar stuff. It's like, sure, dude. And we've been jamming, and it's been going really well. Um, we've been like, just being creative and writing. And I I use my Helix again. I don't mean to keep being a Line Six shill here, but um, I use my Helix for stuff, and I have like a lot of effects in there, and it does have some synthesized pitch shifting things in it. Um. But that takes up a lot of uh, processing power. And I was trying to figure out ways to make weird sounds to kind of complement what he's doing and play off each other. And he said, oh, hey, man, do you want me to pull out the slicer? Boss made a pedal. <laughs> you remember the dual, the dual pedals that they did? Yep. Um, um, they, they made one. They had the, the, double del the dual delay thing or the giga delay i think is what it was yep. called they had the uh the distortion factory or the the drive factory or whatever it was called um but then they also had and a lot of people probably don't remember it because it wasn't made very long it was called the boss sl20 slicer and it, it basically yeah. if you don't know what a slicer is it takes your guitar signal or any signal you feed it and it does rhythmic like pulses and effects to your signal. And I plugged it in and I was like, holy crap, this is a whole new thing. 
and he bought his slicer. He kind of saw the writing on the wall for what he wanted to do, and he bought it, and he bought it brand new. And I think, I think, I'd have to ask him again, but I think brand new, it was $199 back back when it was new. They stopped making it uh, because it was, admittedly, the functionality of it was kind of not great. Um, and y- y- like it, it just, it was not as thought out for what a slicer should be. We'll just put it that way, but it did the job. So I was like, man, I should buy one for myself. And I thought, oh, well, it's such a weird pedal. I could probably find one for a hundred bucks now. No, the cheapest one I found so far is $270. Like yeah, I just went on Reverb just to see, just to compare prices, and yeah, two sixty five seems to be the yep. going, the going rate. And and there's some that are, I mean, there, there's a couple. There's one that's in Russia, but fuck that. The um, no offense to Russia, no offense to Russia. It's just too much Pest shipping, Troika. and yeah, it's all that stuff. Like there. Oh, side note, there's actually a guy. I think it's Maiznikov, uh Rack Units. He's a guy in Russia. And he makes clones of famous rack units, like the fish. Oh, wow. Like he makes a plexi rack. He makes a, a the 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 CAE three plus. Like he does these incredible reproductions of these these rare rack preamps, and he's a nice dude. So do yourself yeah. a favor, go on Facebook and look up Maiznikov. I think it's Maiznikov amps or amp works awesome they sound incredible and he's a great guy so nothing against russia it's just shipping from there you know what i mean um right could be expensive but anyway the slicer again a weird pedal and there's not a huge bump from when it was new but there are ones that are 300 324 275 like so if you want to get into it you better really want it yeah i don't know yeah it's it's I'm ranting weird, like, now. No, no, no. It's kind of weird. Like when you, let me ask you a question. How much do you think the rarity overall of it affects the price? I mean, I know we we all want to say that oh, it's rare. It's a collector's item. Well, if they only made fifty of a particular product, either that well, they obviously discontinued it for a reason. Well, in in certain cases, you know, was the pedal dog shit? No, and, like- you know. I, well, I'm not I, saying that the boss pedal is like that. I just, I, it makes you wonder, you know, if something, it, it goes back to that, this article I read years ago in a guitar player magazine where they said, is something good just because it's vintage? And they brought up a point where they had like an old K hollow body, or it was either a K or like a Tice car or something like that. And it was horrible, but it was worth a ton of money just because it was, it was old. So it kind of makes you wonder how much the rarity of it affects. Well, obviously, it affects the vo- the value tremendously, but, you know, is it really worth it in the end? Well, and I mean, for, for what I'm doing, like, for example, I picked up, um, I, I'm a I'm a big wah pedal shill. That's my collecting. That's how I satisfy my gear acquisition syndrome. Um, right. I, I have, now I have a couple other things. Like, I have um, one of the first 2000 um, uh, 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 overrated specials. Um, I have one of those from way huge. Um, I have two of my favorite pieces I have are the Digitech black 13 
and the Digitech mm-hmm. the weapon. <laughs> oh my, those they... are yeah so edgy. Oh, dude, I'm gonna tell you something. Each one of them has one setting that sounds good. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it... they said the same thing about the uh, Clapton Crossroads pedal that it's basically useless. Oh, they, at... they might have one pe- one setting, maybe two settings that are any that are remotely usable. Okay, out of that artist series that that Digitech did. You know what one's the most valuable? Probably the Brian May one. The Brian May Red Special Wah Pedal thing. Yep. They are so expensive on the used market. It's insane. Like, and and the thing is, again, we, we, we've kind of drifted not off course. We're staying within the realm of, like, pedals that are, that are, cult classics or rarities but like with people that use them and also collectors i think we're kind of living in that world and that's the thing is that what is it about the brian may red special digitech like treadle that makes it so friggin valuable yeah like i'm i'm seeing here they start at 273 yeah they go up as far as 350 499 500 for this fucking part of my language but the stupid ass red pedal that probably didn't sound all that great to begin with. I'm well, sorry to say that. I mean, I'm sure everything sounds good to certain ears. Well, and and again, that's that's a subjective thing that that's a topic onto its own. But like, that's the thing with that pedal is that apparently now, and I say apparently, of all of the artist pedals, it's the best one. Okay. You know, like the there was the Hendrix pedal too. Right. You know, so like. I, I mean, Digitech is its own animal. I mean, like the the old. Um, do you remember the GP? What is it? GP two twenty one oh ones. Like I think so. Were they the floor units or were they the uh, the they, rack mount? They were the rack mount ones, and they were the ones that had like different face plates. There were different versions, and like yeah. again, those they're not crazy priced. Like you can get a hold of one, and even the more rare ones for a fairly reasonable price. But still, the price that they command belies how good they sound. You know right. what I mean? Well, kind of going past that, do you notice that? Because I was thinking in my head about amplifiers and guitars that are kind of in that route, but I'm honestly coming up empty. It seems like pedals are the things that are more of the, I don't want to say the fads, but it seems like pedals are more commonly the cash grab of the moment. Like, I don't see that with guitars. Either you have a great guitar or you have a shit guitar. Same thing with amplifiers but with pedals it seems like people are really trying to find that that hidden gem in the pile like everybody is looking for the next amazing drive pedal that's so overly um hyped that i it it just you get dilute or you get like drowned in this in this chasm if you will of gear where it just gets ridiculous no, and and you're right. I mean, there there's another pet. And I'm sorry we've stayed on pedals, but like, well, for example, cult classic amps that have have relatively held their value and are good because of someone who used it of note. I'll throw this out there: uh, Chuck Schuldiner of Death used yep. a uh, a Marshall valve state. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. I, what was it? The 3100, 2100, something like that. I think it was the 2100 because my, my valve state came out after that. Cause that was, as I understand, he used the one that did not have any 
preamp tube in it. The one that I had, which is the VS100, that they claim had a preamp tube in it. I never opened it up or I never had anybody open it up to see if that was really the case. But I know his, at least when he was using the um, leper, like he was on leprosy album, that was just the, the old school valve state. But I think it was the, it was either the 21 or 8100. I don't, I'm really bad. 8100. Yeah. With these months. 8100. I think it was 8100. Yeah. I'm bad with remembering all these model names. You'll realize we're not super professional here. The, <laughs> No, but like another another person who used that amp was Wayne Static from Static X. On uh, it's oh, the didn't, he, it's, didn't he use the MGs? No, he used the MGs later, but on Wisconsin okay. Death Trip, it was the valve state. Now there's there's talk yeah. that he also used the JCM nine hundred, but I I watched a YouTube video. And it was like behind the mix or behind the guitar tone. And I saw there was an episode of Static X on Wisconsin Death Trip for the song Push It. And it was the guy who actually did, who produced the album, sitting there isolating guitar tracks and breaking it down. And he's like, yeah, it was this valve state. And I'm like, holy shit. Like crazy. like static the sound of Wisconsin Death Trip and uh, 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 Machine are two of my favorite metal guitar tones. Like they're, they're I don't know what it is. You either Static X is one of those bands you either love or hate. But I'm getting off track. The but like amp wise because Chuck Schuldiner used it. There's even plugins of that amp that are made. That's ridiculous. Seriously. Like, That's I mean, ridiculous. it's the quintessential death metal sound to a lot of people aside from, like you said, the heavy metal pedal or the, the, um, yeah, the heavy metal pedal. Like, and there's so many clones of that pedal too, that are like boutique clones of that pedal. Um, and, and as far as guitars go, the one that jumps into my mind is the airline guitars that Jack White used in the early days of White Stripes. Yeah, I can't. And you look at him today, and he, for the last couple of years, he's been using uh, EVH uh, pretty much. It seems like EVH, or at least he was using Music Man, but I've seen videos of him recently playing EVH guitars, which is kind of fitting. But, yeah, look, that's crazy. I They just seem like such... I don't want to say they're junky guitars, but they never seemed... They seem very kitschy. They seem like they wouldn't hold their own against you know any modern player guitar well and and again it's subjective because like they have a vibe to them they absolutely do like and if if that's what you're going for if you want something that's kind of lo-fi and trashy and goes that can be a really fun vibe and that can be if if you're looking for a specific tool or if that's all you can afford go for it i mean you know, there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying you probably used to be able to buy those airline guitars per what? 150, 200 bucks, maybe 300. Well, probably. And then because Jack White used that and he used the silver tone amp, both of those things just skyrocketed thousand dollars, $1,200, you know, up. So to go along with that, my kids, uh, a couple, maybe like a year or so ago, they saw a, a video that I was watching, or I don't even remember if I was watching. It might have been, um, it might have just come up on my feed, but it was uh, an Agafish video where he was playing one of those Hello Kitty Squires. Oh, yeah. 
and they both want Hello Kitty. They both one wants oh. the pink and the other wants the black. Hello Kitty. I just went on Reverb because I knew the prices were going up. Good luck. But I just went on Reverb to see how much a pink one is. Five hundred and fifty dollars. Oh yeah. They were a buck ninety nine. Yeah. I think back when they first came out. Oh yeah. Give or take. Oh, dude. Because it, people realize that at its core, it's just an awesome stripped-down guitar. It's a good mod platform. Right. Like, And Augafish uh, proved that. Like, yeah, he, like, you take you take the pickguard off of that, you essentially have a Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and that's the thing, like, there's some squires from, like, when they were made in Japan back in the 80s that command $350, $400. Yeah, you know. they were um they were made in the Fuji Gen factory, which I mean that says enough right there. Those oh, are probably yeah. the best guitars yeah. that Squire ever made. And no offense to Squire, because I I love their current stuff and the stuff they made for the last ten. But there was a point in the '90s when Squires were a little more than firewood. Oh, dude. and crappy firewood. Oh, dude, even in the early 2000s, like when yeah. I started playing, Squires were even with my my uneducated you know, sense of tone and touch, which you could argue I never got over the, um, <laughs> it like, I knew they were not good. They felt cheap. Like, but when I played my first Squire that was made back in, what was it? 84, 85. Like it was at a guitar center yeah. and I picked it up because it looked really good. I played it. Holy crap. It blew me away. And I should have bought it because at the time people didn't want them and they were about $175. Like yep. because like oh it's a squire yeah but it's a it's a Fuji Gen made squire, um, well and then there's guys like you know you talked about before about uh, social media and everything influencing prices of gear. There's um there's a uh, a, a composer and uh, a studio guitar player and everything named Mike Nielsen and he does the um he does his channel it's Big Harry Guitars. Yeah, he, I, he, yeah, I just started watching him. He renamed his channel Mike Nielsen, and he goes through all these old, like, vintage, desirable preamps. You know, the like I said, the CAE uh, uh, 3 Plus from uh, Custom Audio Electronics, the right. Soldano X88, the ADA MP1, you know, um, what else? The Oh, the, the Rack Mount Rivera. That like uh, Skid Row used. Yeah. He goes through this kind of stuff and shows it. And he has a Bogner fish and it makes me so mad because I want a Bogner fish so desperately. Um, well, you know, it's funny not to get off subject, but um, maybe about 15 years ago, I found an old guitar magazine that somebody had given me. And in there was an ad for something called the Hafler Triple Giant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was designed by Reinhold Bogner, and they said it was effectively a um, a fish for a minimum price. I found them on the old days of eBay for as low as three hundred dollars. Oh yeah, and I kind of I kind of just that went no 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 I'm good, I'm good. And then after I had that Rockmaster preamp, when I got rid of that, I thought no screw it, I'll I'll start looking around and seeing if I can find this this preamp. Well, then they became harder to find. And the price went through the roof um, because I think people start figuring out. Then they start going on uh, Harmony Central. Harmony Central, I think, kind of ruined it for a lot of players because when those early forums started coming out and all these se secrets, if you want to call it that, 
start spilling out, then the used market, at least from what I saw, really started to, um, the prices started to go through the roof. Like that Rockmaster preamp that I found, I spent $200 on. An ADA preamp that I was looking at that I bid on that was $250 plus the pedal or plus the, the foot switch. Now they're $500. Bucks. Well, the, the ADA I understand because the ADA was, I mean, that was the sound of um, White Lion's first album. That was, I mean, that was Nuno Betancourt. That was yeah, Paul Gilbert. Uh, Meta- uh, Kirk Hammett's solo tone on Injustice for All. Yeah, Paul Gilbert, oh, yeah. like these these guys were using the ADA. The ADA has a little bit more of a lineage. The the one that is um the one that I remember seeing, the Hafler Triple Giant, I remember seeing it too, around three hundred bucks or so. And then it went through the roof because people realized what it was. And like you said, the forums and everything. But then there was also the Hafler, what was it, the um T two? Which was I had a T two. I think I paid a a hundred bucks for it, if even that, because I found it on the floor, which remind me to, to finish this story because that kind of leads into what or goes back to what we were talking about before about gear going up in prices. So I found one of those on the floor of my local music store, and I think they only they didn't have a price tag on it, so they charged me a hundred bucks for it. I couldn't get that thing to sound good for anything, so I went and traded it in for something else. And then I've seen videos that people posted in the last couple of years and it sounded incredible. So obviously I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Oh, but dude. it's like now I can't find them online for, for anything more than 250 bucks. Well, the, the first time that I ever plugged into um, a Mark four, I didn't understand how to operate a Mark four. Right. I was treating it like every other amp and that's not how you do it. That's not the Mesa thing. Mesas are their own, their own vibe. Like, right. uh, well, the first time I plugged into a PV triple X, I didn't realize that the EQ was active. So it was basically mm-hmm. a decibel boost and cut and it sounded like dog shit. And once I learned how these things work, then they sounded better. And I have, un- I have in my shame bought and sold three triple X's now. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just yeah. because I find a good deal on it and then I want it and then I don't use it. So I sell it and then I get all de- a dewy eyed for it and then I get another one and then, you know, um, but like the the P- the PV Rockmaster preamp, I want one so bad because I love the ultras yeah. like the old ultra and ultra plus Um. The Ultra Plus used that used to be an amp that you could get for two hundred bucks all day long. Yep. Two hundred, two hundred and fifty bucks all day long, the PV Ultra Plus. Now if you try and find one, they're four hundred, five hundred, sometimes more. Like Yeah, because then people start finding out that uh, that was Soilworks primary amp when they were doing um oh god, what was the I think a Predator's portrait. I think that was mostly if I remember correctly, I think that was mostly uh uh the ultra plus well in the ultra plus too um i think if i'm not mistaken i'd have to go hunt it down pretty sure on bucket headland two that was his primary tone probably yeah like oh, i mean yeah. these are these are crazy expensive i'm seeing 400 bucks well i mean it's not crazy but like again i like i go well, I, guess, it w- I guess it's compared to where they were before yeah like and I mean the the one like there are some amps too that you go, um well okay recently um, Mike Nielsen did a video 
on the um the was it the the Chandler tube preamp? Not Chandler. Um uh tube works. The the tube works uh yeah. two channel rat because that was the lead tone of Marty Friedman on what album? Rust in Peace. Yeah, okay. And I didn't see that video yet, but I used to the one music store I used to go to outside of Danville, they had a whole bunch of tube works amps and I always used to mess around. I would plug into there and just jam out for a little bit. And maybe they didn't sound so great at the time, but it just seemed so cool cuz like, oh, this is a tube amplifier. This is an actual tube amplifier. And then like they had some Moss valve stuff, but then as soon as like Josh Homme started becoming kind of a reasonably household name, then they disappeared. And and I get it. Like the I don't want people out there listening to this think it's us sitting here and being sour grapes over oh this gear that was so cheap we didn't get in on it it's more just the fact of kind of like the used market is so fickle and you know one year you could be sitting on a piece of gear dude for example when i got my charvel model 6 i like i I told the story on the other podcast about how i got that amp or i got that guitar and I went on, I remember going on eBay because Reverb didn't exist at the time. I went on eBay and looked them up. $300, $400. Now, if you try and find a Charvel Model 6, $1,000, $1,200, $1,300, $1,400. Because yep. they're kind of back in vogue. Like the Shredder guitars. And mine, I beat the shit out of. Just beat the shit out of it. Because I was like... I didn't look at it and go, oh, this is a cheap guitar. I knew how good of a guitar it was. It was basically a Jackson soloist that was made in Japan. Like, and I love that guitar, and I'm never going to get rid of it. Um, but the the thing that blows my mind is that, like, literally one year, you can get a piece of gear for next to nothing. And then a year or two later, it's quadrupled its value just so do you, do you remember when i was telling you about my my old laney head oh yeah the what the a um the aor it was yeah it was an aor long ass title aor aor pro tube lead 50 yeah or aor pro tube 50 so i got that that was another one where we found it at the bottom of a um at the bottom floor of a guitar store uh where i grew up and they didn't have a price tag on it they said oh we think somebody dropped this off like years ago and put it on consignment, but they never, they never showed up. We forgot about it. You know, give us one, or I think they, they asked 200 for it, but I said, well, what about like 175? And I, and then they gave it to me because it didn't have a foot switch or anything. And um, even though it didn't really need it, it was technically a single channel amplifier with just a couple gain stages that you would switch off and on. Right. Um, but I remember looking online for those and they were, they would show up periodically and they would be, you know, 200, 250, give or take, for a British-made all-tube head, 50-watt head. Sounds like a sweet deal. Well, then a few years after that, the sword came out. Oh. And on that first album, I mean, we've all heard that first album and how killer those grooves were. A lot of that was, you found out not long after the album was released, that was on Laney AOR. Pro Tube 50 or the regular Laney Pro Tube 50. Well, then about a year later, 
400 500 $600 for that head. And I, I got rid of it. I traded in for, um, so stupid. I traded in for a, um, an Ampeg VT60. Oh, dude, the VT60s weren't bad. Well, m- mine, I think, was. I think mine was not uh, a real great amp, but I also didn't know how to EQ it. <laughs> was yours so. the one that was the 410? No, it was the 112. Oh, 112. Okay. Yep. And I got it because when I put, when I went into the music store to play it, the guitar that I had and the um, just the settings that I that I got in the store in the store to me it sounded like um, images and words era John Petrucci. Wow. To my ears at the time, till my 22 year old ears or whatever, and it just sounded really good. And I took it home and I couldn't get a decent sound out of it. But when I played live with the band I was in, uh, even though you couldn't really hear it all that well, the demos that I heard of it, it sounded really good. So that's a, an amp. I wish I would have spent more time with, but because it wasn't getting me that sound, I, you know, I had all this, I got all this gear around the same time. It was the Laney, that Ampeg amp, the PV Rockmaster. I wish I would have held on to them just for the simple fact that, you know, a, they, I could probably make them sound a lot better now. And B, if I didn't, then I'm sitting on, you know, potentially 300 bucks. Well, you know, there's something to be said about about collecting for the purpose of reselling at a later date. Um, yeah, I'm not really into that, but you I know, mean, it's just kind of goes without saying. You got to really I, I you got to really be dedicated to the cause at that point in the sense of like, you know, you got to keep up with trends you gotta like make sure you keep an eye on what every artist is playing you gotta you know you really gotta pay attention to that stuff because dude i remember um when i started playing guitar it had just been a couple years after petrucci moved from ibanez to music man and 2000 it blows my mind by the way that he's been with music man longer than ibanez um yeah And well, anyway, I remember when I was younger and again, you can adjust for inflation on this stuff, but like you could buy a green dot universe for like what thousand bucks, 1200 bucks, somewhere around there, you know, you could buy because again, it wasn't in vogue like people didn't want the green dots. Um, And then even Petrucci's old Ibanez signature you could get for 14 ish now good luck finding an ibanez jp2 or jp3 for less than 3 grand like you can't yep. you absolutely can't and i know i i know a guy who actually has a i think a jp2 and i got to hold it and i got to play it a little bit it was insane how much it felt like a strat. Like the neck. So it that, had a thicker neck on it. Yeah, that Viper neck, the Ibanez Viper. Like that neck on it was bigger than you think. Like it was it 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 was it was it was more like the did you ever play any of the Ibanez R T or R X stuff? No, I never played the RX, but I wonder if it's if it's similar to the Roadstar that I used to have. Uh, I don't I don't think it's like the Roadstar. Um, that was a Wizard One. No, you you mean the I one remember. that that I had, Joe? Yeah. That no, they were they were different. 
Joe felt okay. really like a Strat. But I was expecting yeah, okay. the standard thin Ibanez thing when I played it. But my point is, because he moved to a different thing. Well, I mean, for God's sake, um, you see the... Um, they've always been expensive, but what was it? Um, Jay Mask... Not Jay Maskus, Jay Younger. Jay Younger. Yeah, yeah the, I was just going to say that. The Jay Younger uh, Iceman. Like, they were made for, what, two years, if that? Mm-hmm. And they're impossible to find. And when you see one, they're five grand. Like, yep. and they're a weird, like a really weird Iceman. Um, but my, we're, again, we're kind of getting off track, but it's, it's just weird how that works because, you know, there are so many of something. Well, I mean, even right now, we mentioned before, right now, you see some people trying to sell script and block letter 5150s for three grand that makes me sick sick. like that makes me fucking ill just hearing about that because it's now i was just reading a news report today where they're talking about uh any everything related to van halen whether it be album sales streaming like uh, um streaming um revenue gear it's gone up six thousand percent oh yeah you know and i just to me, that's just wrong. I, I I just find so many things wrong with that. But that's that's the world we live in, I guess. Not to sound cynical, but well, I I like the fact that people are buying the albums. I like the fact that people are getting into like Van Halen that people who might not have, and they go like, like even some people who might barely have known who Van Halen was, they go, you know what? I've never listened to his music. I'm going to pick up this album and listen to it. And they go, Holy crap. This is amazing. You know what I mean? Right. Like I've been watching a lot of reaction videos of people who have never heard Van Halen in the last three weeks. They've gone back and they've listened to their entire catalog and they're like, and they're, some of them are generally moved by it. I went through a similar thing. Like a couple days after he passed, um, which was a few days before my grandmother passed, to kind of get out of the, the 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 depression, if you want to call it that, I went back and started listening to their old albums. And in one afternoon, I knocked out Van Halen's one, two, uh, Women and Children First, and Fair Warning, back to back. And I'm like, this is amazing. Now I'm getting off track. But it's great to see that part. I just don't like the fact that now people are gouging. They're banking on the nostalgia. They're banking on the memory by you know increasing the prices tenfold 20fold 60fold yeah like i it, it it it's it's disgusting and i'm glad to see there's a huge contingency of and the majority of of people who are used shoppers kind of speaking out against it they're like what are you doing right. like and if you really really want that 5150 sound Either buy the Fender 5150, the EVH 5153, any iteration of it, or, you know what, go pick up a USA-made um, 6505. Like, the the newer ones are are not made in America anymore, but you could still find right. a 6505 for a screaming deal. Like, yeah. if you really want that amp and you want that vibe, do it. But like even a 6505 mini, you can get one for 350 bucks. I've seen them go for. Exactly. Like anyway, we're 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 getting off track. Yeah. But my my point right, is right. it's it's weird how the used market shifts around like this. Like I mean, dude, I'll go on reverb sometimes maybe after having a beverage or two and do some shopping. And um 
like like I said, I collect wah pedals, and it's it's kind of weird. Like, because I'm a big Morley fan. I like Morley Waz. The functionality, the tone, I just like them. That's my preference. Right. Um, I also like, I like pretty much all Waz. Um, but, it, it, like, for example, you can get a bad horsey, like one that's in gig shape for, like, mm, 50 bucks. You know what I mean? You yep. can pick one up for dirt cheap. Um. You can get a bad horsey too for around the same price. The Mark Tremonti's command a little bit more, but you can, if you do enough searching, you can find a, pa- a Mark Tremonti power wall for like 60, 70 bucks. The one that kind of surprises me is the DJ. And, and honestly, it's probably my favorite wall I own right now is the DJ Ashba skeleton wall. Yeah. That wah is yeah. the best crybaby you'll ever own. <laughs> like, well, I think it, it comes it comes with that name too, because I know a lot of people. Like, not to get off subject, but I know a lot of people that I associated with back in in my early days of playing. When the Tom DeLonge strats started coming out, people were like, "Oh, I'll never play that guitar. I'll never play that guitar." Well, it's it's well, at least the the standard version was. Like the Fender version was a Mexican-made Super Strat with a humbucker in the bridge, and it played great. They played phenomenally. People just didn't want to buy it because of the association. Yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't last a whole heck of a lot of time. But now they're they're worth incredible amounts. The Squire version's worth four hundred dollars easily. Oh yeah, and but I, it just kind of makes me think. Well, then even the Gibson when he had his Gibson, his DS three thirty five, those are crazy expensive. Yeah. Yeah, fuck um, that thing. I'm sorry. Even, oh no, even the epic dude, I loved it. I got to play one one time, and it was it made really? me it made me really like ES three thirty fives. Well, um, that's, see, that's the thing. I I love ES three thirty fives. I absolutely adore them. One of my favorite guitars that I've played that I've never owned is, and I think we talked about this, is the Epiphone Sheridan two. Oh yeah, which is effectively an ES three fifty five, and those are I love three thirty fives, but I just I don't. To me, it's like that's a purist guitar, and maybe maybe it's a little bit of snobbery. You, but anytime people hot rod them, I'm like, no, nah, you, nah, no thanks. You need to try my 335 Pro I have. Oh, my okay. Epi- uh, my, Epi- my Epiphone. You need oh, to try yeah, okay. it. You need to try I that the 339 thing. a couple of years ago. I love that, too. Oh, I, yeah, they're I too like small. To they're too small. The 339s are too little. Well, I'm a little guy. Well, that's true. Actually, you're no. you're you're smaller than I. I'm a big dude. So when I wear a certain I'm a wee one. when my when my certain when certain guitars that I play, they look like toys on me. That's why I like a bigger <laughs> guitar. Um, but anyway, the um, you mentioned the Tom DeLonge Strat. I remember I had my my uh, Samick and I was all high on my hog because I was the first one on my block tone and electric guitar. And um, right. I thought it was great. I was like, man, this place great. This is awesome. Well, my friend got the Tom DeLong Strat for his birthday. And I was like, whoa. And at the time, I was like, oh, Blink-182, fuck them. You know, dude, he had me play it. Holy shit. Like, it played, yeah, great. it played incredible. And it made me a lover of the Seymour Duncan Invader. Oh, I have a love-hate relationship with the Invader. I um, love the Invader. I had a, I had an Ibanez. Uh, it was one of the EX models uh, from back in the day, and yeah. it just had a Seymour Duncan Invader 
in the bridge, and that thing sounded awesome through gain, but anytime you tried to run it through any kind of clean sound, it immediately started clipping. So through a solid state amp, it, all you got was, was just fuzz and clip, and not the good kind of clip either. Not like the breakup that you get from, from cranked power tubes. It just sounded nasty, but with gain on it, yeah, it was it was heavenly. Oh, dude, and, and the thing is, I feel like there are certain pickups that, you know, and now we're definitely getting off track. But um, yeah, well, it's and also we picked a really difficult topic to to bring up because, you know, it gear it, the used market just fluctuates so much. Yeah, it, it's really hard to pinpoint. I think pedals were much easier to pinpoint because they're they're a much less risky. Um, acquisition you know like um you could argue that if you look at the 1959 les paul uh a lot of those a lot of its mystique was the fact that they were made in such limited quantities but also the fact that so many legendary players owned one and and cite it as their favorite instrument you know is is a 1959 les paul any better than a 1972 les paul oh that's that's hard to say that is a topic I think we should have for the next podcast. Right. That's I, the next podcast. That, that has to be. So write that down so we don't forget. All right. Well, yeah. we've been going for a little over an hour. I got to go. I, I was at the gym. Right. I got to get a shower, and I got to get ready for uh, tonight. I got some plans. Um, but uh, really quick, and I like I said, I want to make this a regular thing. Uh, what's one piece of gear, like an item, like just an item, not a brand, just like something you would recommend for someone to try. Hmm. Well, something that really changed the way that I play, and I'm going to go really minimal compared to my my last um, recommendation I made the other day. I'm going to go with something a little minimal, and I'm going to go with uh, your pick. For me, my playing kind of, well, definitely changed for the better when I started playing Dunlop Jazz 3s. But in particular... When I got the Altex Jazz 3 XLs, I know it's a big name, uh, but those really, honestly, I can't live without them. I played, I played Gravity Picks from time to time. I play the JP Dunlop models, but to me, I keep gravitating back to the Altex Jazz 3 XLs because they just feel great in your fingers, and you are never going to break those things ever. And it, it really just to me it refined my playing and it made me very aware of my picking technique and it made me really want to work on my picking technique and my synchronicity so if you want to improve something if you want to improve your technique i think that's one of the cheapest or at least most cost effective ways to improve so i'm going with the dunlop altex jazz threes all right there i like that and and i know this isn't my recommendation but i started using in tune picks um i use their jazz xls um, and I get them printed. I do every time I run out of picks, um, I, uh, I do a new version for my band Hellbent. Um, the first one had like a real heavy metal, uh, thing. Then we started adding more 80s stuff and I added the, the Hellbent on it. It, it was like an eighties racer kind of thing. And now version three has another like metal font, but on the back I have the dark sign from dark souls. Um, Oh God, I love it, dude! I'll send you a pic. I'll send I you a pic because when we're done, I, I'm literally like sitting here at my desk with the Hellbent pick on my desk. Yeah, you have version one. I have version one. Yeah, you have V one. You um, put the dark sign on there. Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, but that yeah, I'll send you. I'll put a picture in the chat here. 
uh, when we're done. But my recommendation, and if you want, and it kind of does this where if you need to bust out of a rut with your sound or if you want to get creative with what you write, I just picked it up uh, for uh, Black Hole Bomb um, just so that I could have something that was uh, I knew would be reliable and sound really good. The Boss SY1. We've talked a lot about um, Boss pedals this one, so why not have Boss be my recommendation? It's the Boss SY1 Synthesizer. They have, <coughs> excuse me, not COVID. The um, uh, <laughs> they have the they have the SY one. I think the SY six hundred and the SY one thousand. I think are the three. And the SY one is a single boss stomp box, the traditional single stomp, and it has uh one two uh one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven modes with 11 options inside each mode. So that's awesome. And it and it, it's like lead synth, pads, bass, string, bell, organ, uh, uh, sound effects and s- like a slicer effect. Um I got it just to take some of the stress off of my Helix uh so that I could put other stuff in there. Um but it is such a neat pedal and it tracks incredibly well wildly well um i think mcrockland did a demo of it go look it up like go look up mcrockland's demo of on youtube of the sy1 it will sell you on one because it's just a really good creative tool um to and you it forces you to kind of play a little differently it forces you to write differently and and the sounds of it are incredible and if you want to go ham Oh, it's SY300. The SY300, and then I think the SY either 800 or 1,000. I can't remember. But it basically, you have the single stomp box. Then you have one that's, three. Uh, four, I think, three-button. And it's more full-featured. And it's MIDI-controllable. And then you have the one that's, like, massive. And you have to build synth sounds from the ground up. And you need the 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 synth pickup to run it. So if you want an introduction into synthesizers, Boss SY1 is, I think, 200 bucks, brand new. You could probably find it cheaper used. It's durable, it's Boss quality, and it sounds awesome. That's my recommendation. So a little more expensive than Picks, but it's a good tool. And hopefully I'll be able to write some stuff with Black Hole Bomb that'll make it effective. But this has been a really fun episode, man. I think we stayed pretty focused despite going off track a couple times, which is fine. That's the nature of the beast. But, uh, yeah, I think this went really well. Again, I know it's it's the third episode we've done, and I haven't <laughs> I haven't gotten the social media and stuff together, but I've had a lot of other stuff on my plate and irons in the fire. I will get there and we'll have some recommendations for you. But until then, this has been the Tone Bros Podcast. Just remember, folks, gain is not volume. Later. <laughs>